0: And welcome, friends, to Generations. Kevin Swanson, your host, with you today. And Joshua which we saw, director of publications, is with us on this edition. Josh, welcome. It's good to have you here.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me join you, Kevin. It's been a little while since we've been able to do a show together.
0: Yeah, and we want to talk about the mighty works of God in history. And uh, there's nothing more thrilling than what the Lord has done. In history. And we call it the backstory in history. And it really is the front story. The back story should be the front story. <laughs> so, yeah, the
1: back story for the world, though, they don't, they don't highlight it.
0: Yeah, it doesn't show up much on the radar of world history books, but it does as much as we can in our world history and American history texts. We want to get into the Nuremberg trials in just a moment, uh, the Nazis that repented of their sins and turned to Christ. Um, I know these are shocking stories to the world, and the world just cannot, receive these sorts of things but uh, on the one hand we're not afraid of telling the bad news josh Uh, the kingdoms of this world though they revel in the bad news and they never quite get to the good news
1: that's right
0: (laughs) and and wars and such are fought over the fact that uh, some nations bad news are supposed to be better than another nation's bad news and they claim one nation to be better than the other and it's hard sometimes to pick sides (laughs) in wars
1: Yeah, there's a lot of complications in trying to unravel these things. But one thing I think we should keep an eye on at all times is what is Christ's kingdom doing in all of this? Yeah. And that's what this Nuremberg story, I think, brings to our attention. Yeah, and I want
0: to get to that in just a moment. Um, But the things that matter to God are not necessarily the things that matter uh, to man. On the one side, the Bible, which very much is a historical narrative all the way from the beginning to the end, uh, the Bible's not afraid of handling the bad news. You think of Judah. I was thinking of Judah as an example. You know, I mean, he commits sexual sin with Tamar, his daughter-in-law, and then he humbles himself and repents and says, she has been more righteous than I, which to me is a, a massive confession for a guy. You know, I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. repentance. Pretty rare to see that. And then uh, the Savior comes from the line of Tamar and Judah. You know, so we see that, you know, God brings good news out of bad news And the backstory becomes the front story in in God's story.
1: That's right, yeah. And you think of Matthew's genealogy at the very opening words of the New Testament, uh, a number of the uh, troubling events of the Old Testament are actually highlighted right there as part of Christ's lineage. You know, He comes to dwell with us and then redeem us from our sins. That's Mm -hmm. what we see there.
0: Mm -hmm. A couple of recent stories, and I want to get to the Nuremberg trials in just a moment, but... uh, this this happened just last year, and we covered it on this program. Just in case somebody missed it, I think you might have missed it, because I, you know, was was telling you about it. You go, what? You know, and that's yeah, what I, I said. I, I said the same thing. Raquel Welch was the prototype sex symbol of the nineteen sixties, and she was the advocate of feminism and transgenderism as well. Believe it or not, in certain movies that were aired in the nineteen seventies, uh, very bad, very bad. But she just passed away, you know, in February of twenty twenty three. And there is an obscure online source for Presbyterian news that, you know, our, our sister in Christ, Hell Welch, has passed away as a wonderful yeah. lady, a fine Christian, one who'd come to subscribe to the Westminster Confession of Faith. And she explained in her autobiography back in 2010 how she found a small church, quote, on the way to Pasadena, where the pastor and congregation were very devout and really knew their scriptures. And so, you know, she, she turns out to be, you know, a member in good standing. Of a fairly conservative Presbyterian church in Southern California, I, mean, I don't think the average person knew that. You didn't know that.
1: No, nope, I did not.
0: So why didn't you know that? I, I mean, this is the front story, but it was yeah, really it the back. On Wall Street
1: Journal's front page. So I didn't <laughs> yeah, see it yeah, there.
0: So. Yeah, exactly. That's that's my point. That's that's exactly yeah. what I'm trying to say. Also, think of Steve McQueen, who is probably the highest paid actor and the king of cool of the 1970s, and you know, towards the end of his life uh he he became a christian as well uh, professed to be a born-again christian and there, you know you've seen the documentary you've know about the documentary on his conversion truly uh, amazing stuff now before again we we take a break and we come back and talk about the nuremberg trials in just a moment but did you catch the story on Navalny, who's the uh, opposition party to putin in uh, russia And he he just died, I think, of pneumonia in a prison somewhere in Russia.
1: Yeah, up in Siberia is where he had been placed. And I'm learning a little bit more about his life through some of the recent news articles. But we did have some listeners pass along information that was unknown to us in terms of Christian identity that Navalny was claiming. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and he, here's the, here's a quote from his final statement, his closing statement of his uh, trial in 2021. Now, I, I, I will say that he had a rather storied, colored background. So you know, it's not as if we're going to endorse everything he ever did or anything he always believed. Uh, but he's an atheist. He was an atheist turned Christian. Uh, these, these, again, his closing statements from his trial in 2021, quote, if you want, I'll talk to you about God and salvation. I'll turn up the volume of heartbreak to the maximum, so to speak. The fact that I, is that I am a Christian, which usually rather sets me up as an example for constant ridicule in the anti-corruption foundation, because mostly our people are atheists. And I was once quite a militant atheist myself, quote unquote. Extraordinary. <laughs> Extraordinary, it is. He, yeah, he quotes. He, he quotes Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount in his closing comments. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. So there you go. I, that's something of a backstory that you know most people aren't going to catch on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, as you said. Yep, that's right. All right, so Maybe let's. it will be
1: told in more detail.
0: Yeah, let's take a break, and I want to go to the Nuremberg Trials because I know you've done some study on this. You brought it into some of our curriculum that we present because, friends, what we're trying to do is bring a Christ-centered, God-oriented history course in which, well, the works of God are presented and the backstory in history becomes the front story. That next on Generations. We've seen it, folks. God is working in the hearts of dads and sons, and He's turning the hearts, turning the hearts of fathers back to the sons, and the hearts of sons back to the fathers, and turning us all back to God. That's what we're looking for, and that's the theme of the Father-Son Retreat we've been sponsoring out here in the mountains of Colorado for the last 20 years, and I've been part of this for all this time. Now, God has done amazing things through the years. Uh, I've seen it. 350 dads and sons getting into God's word together nothing like it camaraderie brothers on brothers it's a band of brothers coming together powerful talks prayer father-son walks and talks meaningful engagement it's almost going without saying that dads and sons don't get enough time together and hey we don't get enough time out in God's nature playing games and going for hikes in God's fresh air and we don't get quite enough time in God's word either so don't miss this year's father-son retreats this august in the Colorado Rockies up in the Sangre de Cristo Mountains. Check it out at com and register today and be one of the first 125 people to sign up and save $100 per father and son. Secure your spot with the biggest discount available right now at dot com. And we're back on Generations. Kevin Swanson here, Joshua Schwissow as well, our Director of Publications, especially uh, focusing in upon our historical work, the backstory in history, becoming the front story on this edition. And we've referred to these before. Our American History course deals with Nathan Bedford Forrest, uh, one of the key founders of the Ku Klux Klan, Uh, turns out to be uh, a born-again Christian, uh, repents of his sin in a bank in Tennessee shortly before he dies, stands up, offers an apology to the organizational meeting of the National association of colored people so we've referred to also the colonel for the japanese air force that dropped the bomb on uh pearl harbor uh that led the attack the tora 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 guy uh turns out the colonel that led the attack was wandering through a uh, train station in uh in tokyo and uh and a friend of my father's a missionary handed him a track and uh, the colonel who led the attack on Pearl Harbor confessed his sins, repented, uh, came to a faith in Jesus Christ, and became important evangelist uh, for uh, the Lord Jesus uh, in Japan over the 1950s, 1960s. So, so we've talked about these these tremendous stories. The backstory in history, which of course the the world is not interested in, what God is doing, what Jesus is doing. But we are, and Christians are, and we want to present that as best as we can. Now, fast forward to the Nuremberg trials post-World War II, and you've got some men that are on trial for some very bad things, some atrocities that they committed, Mm -hmm. and we're not going to minimize any of that, but tell a little bit more of the backstory for the Nuremberg trials. Josh, you've done some research on this.
1: Yeah, well, it was fascinating for me to learn about this story because um, the original way I came across this was I was looking for material on what were Christians doing in and after World War II? Where was, yeah. where was their gospel ministry happening around this terrible, uh, difficult time? And so I uh, came across this story of a Lutheran pastor named Henry Garricky, and uh, he uh, his story is told in uh, Tim Townsend's book called Mission to Nuremberg. This was a journalist that did a really good job of in about 300 pages, summarizing all these events. And uh, Garrick, was a uh, Lutheran pastor from America. So he was an American and he had served uh, in the U.S. Army from about 1943 until the end of the war. And he he was an older man. He was in his 50s. He had uh, children in the military as well. And the reason he left Missouri uh, to minister overseas was he had heard that there was a desperate need for chaplains uh, here over there in Europe. And so he ended up going there, and he was particularly well-equipped for this context because he spoke German by, by his background, uh, even growing up in America. And so Gehrke uh, ministered to the U.S. Army for a number of years, but when the war ended, there was a need for a uh, chaplains to minister at the Nuremberg Trials. The, hmm. the men that were uh, charged with these various international crimes. The, the Nazi leaders requested some spiritual... Council and provision. Um, some of these Germans, of course, were uh, Lutheran by background because that was a, a key part of uh, German heritage. And there was a number of Roman Catholics. So what ended up happening is Garricky was chosen as the Lutheran pastor. And then there was a Roman Catholic priest named Sixtus O'Connor, who also was called to care for these men. And um, as I looked at this story, I, I of course, I focused on Garricky because He was a pastor that was going to faithfully bring the free grace of God, uh, the clarity of the gospel message to these men. I can't speak as much for the Roman Catholic priest, but we know that due to his background, it was not going to be uh, the message they needed to hear. I mean, these Mm -hmm. men needed to know that it was only solely the blood of Christ that would bring forgiveness. Yes, yes. And um, as this event happened, you know, it was almost a scandal that anybody was doing ministry to these men. I mean, Henry Garricky was criticized, thinking, how how can you even spend time with these wicked, horrible men?
0: Mm -hmm. And just stop for a moment. It reminds me just a little bit of the pastor I interviewed who baptized Jeffrey Dahmer, the notorious serial killer. Uh, He got the call. There's a guy named Jeff, maximum security prison. He's asking for a pastor. And he says, Jeff who? He said, they said, Jeff Dahmer. And he goes, oh, okay. So, but he ministers to him. I interviewed him on this radio program. And, you know, yeah, I mean, we got a little bit of pushback from that. The idea that Jeffrey Dahmer is going to be in heaven, that's just unthinkable.
1: Yeah. And then you and you, then you
0: think for a moment, you know, Josh Wiso, Kevin Swanson in heaven.
1: That's right. That's just yeah.
0: unthinkable, Josh. That's just unthinkable. Right. Yeah, and Isn't and that the, the way to take it? For, yeah. We have to remember
1: the very same gospel message saves us as much as it saves any of these Nazi men who Pented. Right. repented That's and believed right. in Christ. Mm-hmm. There's fundamentally no difference. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Big time. Mm-hmm. And the world wants to put everybody on this scale and say, well, these are the really bad men and they're unredeemable. We're the really good people over here. Uh, and that's not what the scriptures present to us. Mm. Um, and so Garricky was, I think, very faithful in bringing the gospel message to these men. He didn't diminish their atrocities. He he was quite clear about the sinfulness of sin and the blood of Christ, which cleanses uh, cleanses us from sin. Mm-hmm. So uh, to give you a sense for uh, Garricky's ministry to these men... He ministered to some of the top-level Nazi leaders. Uh, this included Rudolf Hess, which was one of Hitler's closest confidants, probably the second or third in line to Hitler in terms of the hierarchy. Uh, it included Hermann Göring, uh, who was the commander of the German Luftwaffe, the German Air Force, uh, included Albert Kesselring and the labor minister Fritz Sauckel. And uh, Sauckel, it might be said as Saukel, he was... He was responsible for employing uh, slave labor and much that actually happened in the concentration camps within Germany. So he was very close to the Holocaust events. And it was actually amongst Fritz Sauckel that Garricki noticed the most repentance demonstrated. Uh, It reminds us of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, because on one occasion, Garricki had entered uh, Sauckel's prison cell. And it was reported that Salkal threw his hands in the air and cried out loudly, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Hmm. And everybody heard what he had, had said. And these wow. men, Salkal and others, devoted themselves for months to public worship. Well, mm-hmm. not quite public. <laughs> it was corporate worship with you know a small group in the, the prison cells. Mm-hmm. Um, Garricky would lead a Sunday worship service, and there might be ten or twelve of these Nazi prisoners listening to the preaching of God's word. Mm-hmm. Um, they participated in Bible study. Uh, Garricky shared the scriptures with them. They participated in prayer, and uh, Garricky was very much loved by these men because he he was he was kind to them, but he was also ministering the gospel faithfully to them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And in the uh, during the story, there was one occasion where. In the process of the Nuremberg trials, Garricky was given the opportunity to actually leave um, as the trials were still happening. And he wanted to go home and see his wife. He had been away from his wife for years through this war. And the uh, the men so loved him that they actually wrote a letter to her and sent it to America saying, would you please let your husband stay a little longer? We still value his ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they actually wrote this letter saying, please let him stay. We have been so uh, blessed by his ministry. And he did as a result. Um, Gerakee had the opportunity to minister even to these men's families. The other, these men were mostly married men. The, their wives and children would come to the prison to visit them. And Gerakee shared the gospel with them as well and reported that some of the children professed faith in Christ and hmm. found hope in that. Um now, as the situation progressed, eventually most of these men were uh, found guilty and many of them were uh, slated for execution. Mm-hmm. And as that played out, um, you know, the, the, it was very much like a thief on the cross kind of situation because a number of them would soon die. Uh, but for example, one of the stories as these executions were taking place, Um, Garricky had the opportunity hours before these executions to actually visit with them and speak to them once again. And uh, Joachim von Ribbentrop, one of the key Hitler leaders, told Pastor Gereke, he says to him in his final words, I put all my trust in the blood of the Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And he asked that God would have mercy Mm -hmm. on his soul. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another one testimony was uh, Wilhelm Kettle. He was the, uh, the commander of the German army. And his testimony was, Christ's blood and judgment are my adornment and robe of honor. Therein I will stand before God when I go to heaven. Amen. Mm-hmm. And so these were the kinds of testimonies that these men yeah. were, were giving in their final hours. And one thing that's noteworthy to me is that it is the focus upon the atoning sacrifice of Christ. You know, These men aren't focusing on much of anything else because it's their only hope. That's right. They can't for their sins. They that's can't. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, apologize and everything's mm-hmm. been made better. It's it's only the blood of the Lamb of God that will uh, do for these men.
0: And we're not diminishing the role of the civil magistrate either. I remember right. asking the pastor who baptized Jeffrey Dahmer about the the, the justice of uh, of the civil punishment for Jeffrey Dahmer's crimes, and and it turns out that that he he affirmed that. And Dahmer also agreed to it because he said, this is God's justice, God's standards that must be upheld in my case. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that there is some honest recognition of God's justice in this. And yet, and yet, and yet for all of us uh, that believe in Jesus, mercy conquers judgment at the end. And I think that's the story, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And it reminds us, as our Lord Jesus says, that the weightier matters of the law our judgment and mercy and faith, all of those are important. And so you see Garricky ministering mercy, but also recognizing justice. And there was mm-hmm. no taking away from that. It wasn't like he advocated, okay, these men should be set free. He, he recognized the, the rightness of the penalty in many of these matters. Um, another fascinating part of the story is uh, Garricky's interaction with Herman Goering. The sad part of the story, because Goring. Who was the leader of the German Luftwaffe? He he never repented as far as we could see. But Mm -hmm. you see Garricky's faithfulness in that Garricky would not administer the Lord's Supper to Goring. Right. Uh, right. Goring, on one hand, said, Hey, I'm a I'm a baptized Lutheran member Mm -hmm. of the church. I should be able to partake. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, Goring is saying, I don't repent. I don't believe in Christ. Christ is just this Jew. That's what he called him. I I Mm -hmm. want to have nothing to do with him. And so there was no repentance.
0: Obviously. But what
1: Mm What Gerke said to Goring as he says, uh, Herr Reichsmarshal, this is the way it is. Only those who believe that Jesus is really their Savior, who believe in him, who instituted the Supper, should be permitted to attend the Lord's Supper. The wow. others are it. Wow. And then Goring was offended. He said, I've never been refused the Lord's Supper by a German pastor. Mm-hmm. Never. Mm-hmm. And so Gerke said, I cannot with a clear conscience commune you because you deny the very Christ who instituted the sacrament. Mm-hmm. And then he went on to tell Goring, he says, your daughter believes in Christ. Your daughter wants to see you in heaven, because that's what her testimony had been, is that I want daddy to repent. Mm -hmm. But sadly, Goring, uh, as far as we know, never did. And he ended up taking his own life. And uh, and so that's a sad part of the story, Mm -hmm. but it's a reminder of uh, what that faithful ministry of the gospel looks like through Garrick.
0: That's a, that's a great story of how he stood up. And also, wow, the hypocrisy of the, some portion of the Lutheran Church in Germany. Yeah. Obviously, very terrible. But, you know, thank God there are faithful ministers that bring the word and call for true repentance and, and faith in Jesus right. Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, the, it reminded me a little bit of, uh, of Jeffrey Dahmer's final interview for Dateline NBC. This would have been in uh, May of 1994-ish. Uh, and in the interview, Dahmer's sitting next to his father and thanks his father for sending him material uh, related to creation science, uh, presumably the Institute for Creation Science organization that had uh, forwarded materials uh, to Jeffrey Dahmer's father, and he gave them to uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, and, and these were the materials that brought him to this confession that he made Shortly before he died, this would have been just a few weeks before he died in, in prison. And uh, this is the 1994 clip of Dahmer on Dateline and still available on YouTube. You can still hear it there. I uh, have to do a little digging for it because I don't think everybody's interested in his conde- condemnation of evolution, which was really uh, his perspective. I'm not unlike the perspective of Hitler and the other racists, you know, that that were engaging in, in, in the genocide uh, of the Jews. But here, here was what Dahmer said uh, about that material and, and how he changed his mind and turned to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. Listen, listen to this. This is still available online if you want to find it online.
1: I'll uh, probably have to live with it for the rest of my life. If the compulsions were inescapable, so too was the final realization that he would have to answer for his crimes if you don't if a person doesn't think that there there is a god to be accountable to then then what's what's the point of of trying to uh, modify your behavior to keep it within acceptable ranges uh, that's how i thought anyway i always believed the theory of evolution is truth that we all just came from uh, the slime and uh, when we when we died you know that was it there was nothing and uh, i've since come to believe that uh, The Lord Jesus Christ is truly God, and I believe that I, as as well as everyone else, will be accountable to him.
0: And actually, Josh, you heard that segment. Uh, they actually clipped out a portion of it. You could see it was edited out for this edition. And it's obvious why they do this. It's so hard to find the, the full statement from Jeffrey Dahmer. But he goes on to say, there's no basis in science to uphold the theory of evolution. And I've since come to believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the true creator of heavens and earth. It didn't just happen. I have accepted him as my Lord and Savior. And I believe that I, as well as everyone else, will be accountable to him. So that's the f- that's the full section, which I think I pulled off of a Japanese website uh, a number of, of years ago in order to in- incorporate it into American God's providence to really constitute the, the, the best uh, segment or the, the best segment of this backstory of uh, the story of Jeffrey Dahmer. So last comments, Josh.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I was reminded, Kevin, of the uh, hymn that we often sing, uh, often at the beginning of our worship services, To God Be the Glory, that old Fanny Crosby hymn. And one of the lines in there, she she writes, Oh, perfect redemption, the purchase of blood to every believer, the promise of God, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. And so the gospel presents the free grace of God in Christ, not just to... Uh, certain levels of sinners, not just to uh, uh, less bad sinners, but to the very vilest of offenders. And that's what these stories remind us of, that we're all, when it comes to the cross of Christ, we're all on the the same level playing ground, which is that we all must come to the feet of the cross to receive pardon and forgiveness. And these stories are also a, a, a great reminder of the power of Christ to redeem those that have been the most hardened and their sins. Um, I mean, some of these men that operated the concentration camps—they were so hardened that they would go home to their wife and children as if they had just had a, a day in the office, while the most horrific atrocities were taking place. And it's some of these same men that, by God's grace, were finally. Hmm. Um, humbled and, and redeemed from such hardness and deceitfulness of sin.
0: Reminds me of Luke chapter 11, when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are in peace, referring to the devil. Our yes. Lord is referring to the devil there, that that the strong man is the devil, guarding his goods and they're in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. And that's the picture of what Jesus has done throughout history. And uh, yeah, we can say Nathan Bedford Forrest in heaven, Jeffrey Dahmer in heaven, some of these Nazis in heaven by the grace of God and by the powerful redemption of Jesus Christ, robbing the strong men's house, the stronger men has come. And and he's doing his work, and uh, and 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 he gets the last story. I was going to say the last laugh. He sits in the heavens and laughs at the devil and his uh, his plans and purposes. But uh, but he ultimately tells the last story, and he will gain the most glory for the great redemption that he has accomplished throughout history. And uh, yes, you know the nations will go after each other. The nations will attempt to establish their standard of justice, but in the end, it will be Jesus who will save and redeem and then establish perfect righteousness in the new heavens and the new earth. And that's, uh, that, that's our hero. That's our champion. That's right. Uh, truly, he is our victorious king, and, uh, and his kingdom will be the most glorious in, in all the universe.
1: Amen. Yeah. And if, if folks want to learn more about that story, we did include it in the recent release that we had for 7th grade history, How Jesus Built His Church. So we have that snippet in there yeah. uh, as something that people could look at more.
0: How Jesus Built His Church, that's our 7th grade history. And don't forget our ninth grade, uh, American God's Providence, and of course our World History course for ninth grade. We'll include a number of these stories as well. So friends, again, this is what we're doing. We're bringing in the backstory, which is really the front story in history. It is God's story. Ultimately, these are the works of God. The works of God should be way more impressive than the works of men. As we present a biblical view of history uh, as part of the generations.org homeschool, Christian school curriculum. Again, all of it available at generations.org. Thanks, Josh. It's good to have you with us this time. Thank you, Kevin. And uh, friends, we want to invite you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.